This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 61, with guest Nadine Mehlberger. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Dario Suvorova, and welcome to the show and season three. From the start, Nadine Michelberger, together with her co-founder and husband, Tom, wanted to create the first hotel in Berlin, which replaced the typical lobby with an open space that invites guests and visitors to have encounters. This idea was born back in 2003. As years went by, the hotel has evolved as well. Today, the Michelberger team is running the renowned restaurant Aura. They are producing the most sought-after coconut water, the Fountain of Youth, and are practicing regenerative agriculture at their farm in Spreewald. Michelberger is an experiment a playground that is never meant to be finished or completed, but it is meant to create new ways for people to connect. Today, ask Nadine about Berlin in the late 90s, how the idea of Mehaberga came to be, and why we see more and more restaurants in Berlin working with local producers and farmers from the Brandenburg area. Enjoy my conversation with Nadine, and feel free to drop me a message if you learned something new today. Cheers to season three. It's a pleasure to welcome you in the studio, Nadine. And when I asked you in our brief before the recording, what are you most excited about? You said it was people and people Mm -hmm. that work at Michelberger, but also people that are staying at Michelberger Hotel. And I think for me, this was quite exciting to read because this is something that we share because I'm very much connected and thrilled about all the guests on the show. And uh, today it's a launch of season three but also every single listener and representer of WA podcast. So I'm thrilled to start with this common ground and mm. welcome you to the show. Thank you, Daria. I wanted to ask you about your time when um, you decided to come to Berlin, end of 90s. You moved away from a smaller village, I guess I would say, town. Mm. Uh, Very small, yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's a lovely name. And you moved to Berlin for social studies. Mm-hmm. You mentioned to me earlier that you really loved this period. It was buzzing. A lot of things were happening. So can you just help me travel to that time? Mm. What was it like and what did you love the most about it? Yeah, first of all, I mean, I come from a very uh, small town, uh, little village. It's like 500 people living there when I moved. Now it's a little more. And um, it's just a couple of farms and some people living around a church. And then uh, I just knew I didn't want to study in my bigger hometown, which was Münster. And I had a place there and I just didn't share it with my family. And I said, I have to go to Berlin. This is my place where I have to go and register for studies Mm -hmm. and so I went and in this period of course everything was very big overwhelming though it was kind of calm and quiet still Mm. although it was so big and many but I was wondering when we went to I studied in Dahlem which is um, in the west part in a small university and we would go there by either bike by car or by um, by the S-Bahn and I was always wondering when we went home how empty the streets were uh, to the part where then I lived, I first lived in Tempelhof and mm-hmm. everything was very calm and quiet. And then just one night somebody took us to Prenzlauer Berg just for having uh, dinner. And then I saw that the streets were full of people and that there was this vibrancy where everybody was talking about. But we just from going to other university and back to mm-hmm. Tempelhof didn't notice anything from that. How come? Was 
Is it because one part was east, the other one was west? No, just in this, yeah, in these times, um, the east and mid, Mitte Berlin and Prenzlauer Berg, they were just very, everybody would move there. The rents were very low and all uh, the students go mm -hmm. there and um, the cultural life was up there. But you would not notice this when you were living in the West part or going study ah, there. Interesting. So we were there. We, we were like, oh my God, finally awaking uh, up to the city. <laughs> And then, uh, of course, then you start uh, trying to move there and get friends there and you uh, know your coffee places around. And myself, I was just very impressed by these empty streets. You know, there were all these built buildings and you would go through this beautiful, wide open streets, all this Kopfsteinpflaster, mm -hmm. this, the trees and people sitting around um, reading The best thing what you did after coming home from the university, you just meet someone for having a coffee or a tea somewhere right. in some bar. Wohnzimmer was our bar where we always went to, <laughs> which was also at Helmholtzplatz in mm -hmm. Prenzlauer Berg. And everybody just had time, just time. It would not uh, notice, nobody noticed what, what you are doing professionally. Mm -hmm. You You were just talking about life, about your family, about what's happening in Berlin and what's uh, with your neighbors and uh, life itself and mm -hmm. where does everything go into and the analytics of the psycho problems of your family. You know, we were just very in in that time capsule somehow. We noticed though only during time that it was this ca time capsule that you were um, just living this life and there was no pressure from outside to develop to be fast and study. Do studies. you think it's different now? Of course. Uh, I think now people are way more um, under pressure to work. There nobody worked. Everybody had a side job somewhere in a coffee shop and would just go come by during their yeah. daily life and uh, just need enough that they could f finance their rents and have something to eat. But that's it. Mm -hmm. Nobody saved or wanted to travel or something because there was enough to go. There was always bars somewhere around the corner in some basement hall, Mittwochs bar, Donnerstag, Dienstags, you know, there were just these names for some random bars uh, under some parking lot, whatever, <laughs> you know, and people would just go out. And that was more the, the thing that you knew where's the newest DJ and where's somebody um, throwing a party somewhere mm. in some house. It sounds like a very happy place, but it's interesting how that changed because now Berlin doesn't represent this time capsule, as you said, where people just are lost in connecting with people in in finding music gigs mm -hmm. it's it, it is still there but everything is very much planned today right yes. everything is in berlin it's very professional it's very serious it's very as you said people are saving but they're also thinking through the steps and everything if there's a market if there's a coffee visit yeah, yeah. it's all based on some recommendations on and so forth yeah it's like oh, it feels strict Yeah, and Sometimes. there, back then, you would just always go to your three places and that's it. And I, or Tom and myself, we kind of do the same now. We always go to the same places. And this also gives a feeling of connecting to your neighborhood and mm. you belong there and you know the people who run certain Yes, certain places 100 and it definitely changed and we have we always have the feeling it changed with the 2006 the um, world cup which was there and when uh, somehow this public viewing came mm -hmm. and all the 
the cheap um, flights were coming, the club culture raised, uh, raised up, you know, then more international flow came. And then also the startup uh, culture came mm -hmm. more and more. And so there is a shift for sure to notice from that period on. But this last 10 years, uh, very much so, of course. Very much so. And also back in the days you were organizing parties at this color club. Now you're thinking about Michael Berger, you're organizing the farm, you're behind the initiative Lift Up, which is about, uh, you know, meditation and yoga. So mm. and back then it was organizing actual dance parties. <laughs> yeah, but it was in a frame, of course, in a cultural uh, frame, because we sub rented a big house, which was now at Friedrichstraße, this uh, back old um, Scala Kino. I worked back then in an NGO with my friends and we just wanted to do exhibitions um, there in this house during the day. And of course, we had to finance that because the work that we did at Meeringplatz, mm -hmm. uh, which is on the other end of the Friedrichstraße, that couldn't afford any any people to work there. So we had to find somewhere where we could find money for our daily lives to operate during the day and this cultural matter and to try to change this place. There's, um, I don't know if you know this place, it's next to the Hallische House. Maybe some people know this now. I know where's Hallische House. Yeah. yeah and then there's this round square, oh, and yeah. which usually back then before it's was this... Empty. It's very empty, <laughs> but it didn't uh, used to be like this. It was a big, big, beautiful uh, place, Belle Alliance place, mm -hmm. Platz, it was called, and it was surrounded with this. It was the first square mm -hmm. or one of the only squares that was round back then with this beautiful Altbau buildings. And it was um, the Friedrichstraße was like the Champs-Élysées. You know, people would oh, just wow. go there and walk and go for meeting people in the sunshine, stuff like this. You know, if you see old pictures, it's very, very beautiful. I will Google that after. Last days of the war, it was completely uh, bombed, unfortunately. And so when the wall came, it was the furthest place on the west part of mm -hmm. Kreuzberg. And so it was pretty far becoming, uh, fast becoming a slum somehow, or a social, very challenging place. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went there, my friends, my uh, best friend, and she had an NGO and I participated mm -hmm. then and we wanted to change this place back to this uh, to give it more history and to give it back this identity that it had mm -hmm. just with this new clothes that it had now on uh, during the 60s when and 50s when this new architecture came there mm -hmm. long story but uh, we needed money and so we went to the other side of this Friedestraße to rent this big old house and um, wanted to do exhibitions about this place about other friends that had um, yeah art pieces mm -hmm. too and we rented it out for um, cinema movie screens and stuff but we needed money and so in this time it was best to do um, to so generate you money you were charging the entry fees for all those no this was just very minor but we okay. needed for us to live to organize right. all that we had to generate some money and so we um, threw parties or rented out the space and we there back then there was always the division between a uh, door and bar. And so we would get the door and uh, no, mm -hmm. they do, would get the door and we would get the bar income, <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, it was quite wild for sure. But it's um, looking back, I always have the feeling all the steps that we learned there also dealing with people and organizing this, like where do you get all the beer and the stuff for this amount of people mm -hmm. You organize the cleaning and the people who work behind, even if they're not trained, how do you create a certain atmosphere? How do you decorate that even this really not so nice building 
mm. gets some atmosphere and tonality, um, you have to be very creative if you have no budget somehow. And so that um, made us learn, myself learned so much, which was actually in the end necessary to do also in the hotel. So interesting, right? And those learnings you brought with you starting Mehilberger Hotel, yeah. just understanding, as you said, mm -hmm. working with larger amounts of people, guests. So how do you plan the supplies and everything? I'm curious also to see some of the pictures. Maybe you can show me one day from the. <laughs> I'm <laughs> the not even sure if there's uh, any pictures <laughs> from that period. There's I'm, no Instagram in that. That was secret, between uh, 2002 and four or something when we had this building. I don't. When did Polaroid pictures. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> something, <laughs> something like that. Something like this where you're like, hmm, let me see if I see something. Yeah. But this is amazing. And I mean, this really explains why you and Tom were probably the right people to start mm. such a concept hotel as Michelberger, which grew into something way more than just a hotel. But maybe you can tell a little bit more of how you got the idea and the idea was basically the, the, the conversation started in 2003, uh, but the realization of the concept was in 2009. So what was happening during that time? Uh, uh, definitely personal growth and development. I mean, in 2003, Tom and my, we met the first time in my flat uh, because I had a very tiny flat and my best friend at the time, she knew Tom through doing studies in Augsburg and he was just coming to town and he only knew that she was there and so she he called her up and they met and they met in my flat and so uh, one night I came home and the both were there and Tom and me were immediately like completely attracted to each other and just a couple of days later we talked about um, how what would we do and what was our Yeah, well, we exchanged on so many things and it was clear to us that we would like to do something on our own mm -hmm. to create something like a space where people could come. And especially in this time where buildings of that size and capacity of our building were still sitting empty, what would you do with right. that space? Well, I can imagine half of the Berlin, there were spaces that yeah. were empty, right? Yeah, and on our building, just like there was a sign because it's a public owned building, mm. it was never for um, to sell or something to buy. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they were f to rent and it was just a huge sign outside the door and we saw it by chance passing by by bikes, you know, and then we got the conversation going. But from the first conversations in 2003 and where we mold out, uh, like, how should it be? What would we like to do? And writing um, and starting writing business plans for for our hotel idea, because You think uh, there's this big house and you go there, you build a house for people to come and uh, still there's more space, even if you put all the friends there and all other friends they know. And some day somebody said, uh, why don't you do a hotel of the rest of them that make just sense to us? And we from then had the vision uh, set, but uh, had to put all the little pieces together, mm -hmm. like how should it feel? What Because we, we never went to other hotels to look Ah, they did like this and we would like to do it just we just listened basically for years um, because we we had different objects like estates or buildings basically mm. in Prenzlau Berg and in Mitte and in Pankow I think even where we try out our concept our ideas uh, our room ratios the public spaces you know it was and to get finances you know we were just around 
30 years old and just the people who who we were we went to banks with our little business plan and they were just we were lucky that they didn't throw us out you yeah, know who, who was eventually interested who what kind of people what kind of people behind those banks that said look we like the concept we want to support yeah, it was you. just through family support somehow oh. in the end because uh, literally it was so unheard of and so just us people no experience and had this big idea of bringing people together they would not understand and uh, of course not give any money to that. Mm. So in this process of different buildings of ourselves um, being really, of course, at some point I had to earn some money because I was financially not supported by my parents. You know, I had to kind of take care of myself. So in the end, in a certain time period in this, between 2003 and 2008, when we signed the contract for the building that we have now, uh, there was um, time that I had to go had to, wanted to go back to Christiana, to my friend, for, to this NGO on Meringplatz to, um, because she continued working on that place. And it was at that time that there was an installment from government, which was called Quartiers Management. And she applied there and she did not have a team. And so she asked me if I could join. And of course, I had so much knowledge during this time working with these different families, these institutions, kindergarten, school, and all this surroundings that we wanted to integrate in our vision of, of, the, of this place back then. And so, yeah, she asked me if I could join the team. I joined the team. And mm -hmm. um, that was actually, in the end, another step on the way because all the administration work that needed to be done and uh, the reporting to the government, to the Senate, uh, in this uh, frame of quartiers management was another real big chunk of um, being educated and how to deal with uh, with uh, legacy somehow. You know, It was fascinating. So you had then the full-time job managing that and then you also continue developing this idea with Tom and trying to make it a reality so there yeah, was yeah but it was also in times a little lower effort I would mm. say we we kind of tried to Tom was focusing a bit more on this I focused on the other mm -hmm. project with Christiana because it was also like um, a need a full-time job as you said and needed attention mm -hmm. and uh gaining a lot of knowledge so there was a pause period um, right. between Tom right. and myself so, so just to put into perspective like mm -hmm. back then what did the hotel business like look in Berlin hotel landscape it was just increasing the attention to Berlin got higher so we could also find numbers and analytics that the tourism definitely increased and there would be space for another hotel But just this kind of hotel that we had in mind that was not so seen on or heard of in this mm -hmm. uh, in this landscape it was more the the chain hotels or family run hotels or like very five star hotels or something mm -hmm. like Adlon or right right and by this was. kind of hotel you mean like having partially like the many concepts that you have but also replacing the lobby with this more open space, right? Where you wanted also the Berliners to come and feel welcomed. Mm -hmm, yeah, I explained you last time because you it was so fun. Now for people, it is so natural that there's the space of a I lobby. I didn't think of that. Yeah. When you told me, I mm -hmm. thought, oh, but this makes sense. Yes, for us, it was the most normal thing. If you come somewhere and occupy a spot in the neighborhood, you have to have the doors open and uh, integrate in what's already there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Berlin was something so dear to us all the time. And we got our inspiration by the city, by this time, by the space, by this people that started stuff from scratch. You know, this doing a lot of things out of nothing was something, a mentality and using 
materials that were already existing. You, For example, our walls. That was clear to us that we would like to bring this original surfaces to the forefront so that people experience the history of a house. And uh, that was very common in that time in, in Berlin or to use like, um, no, there was no designer furniture in some cafes. Everybody took something what they found <laughs> at flea markets, including us. Which made Berlin, which actually, w yes. when I think back and I think of Michael Berger, it really reflects what people come to Berlin to have. As you said, like the furniture from that doesn't look like design perfect furniture, but it looks like it's. It's a mixture of something from vintage, something from the flea markets, but it everything feels real. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it has it feels also cool. It doesn't feel totally round down. It feels raw in some places, but it's also cozy yeah, and kind of cool. I think definitely it was one in our case. It was one aspect of um, having just not the budget to to get any. All our first equipment for the restaurant was from some flea market or from some. Uh, hospital uh, release of of plates and cutlery and things mm. because we just couldn't afford and that we managed very well in this first group um, that were responsible for the interior that uh, we had an, uh, a nice eye for certain things how do they come together in a place what would we like to have a, a feeling in this certain in the restaurant for example or in the lobby and how can we emphasize uh, with an open door, for example, our architect back then said um, it was a very conservative South German one. He said a hotel entry has to have like a, a sliding door, like in a <laughs> circle, and you cannot have an open door. And we like, this is not possible. We have to have just a door that you can uh, open normally, yeah. normally <laughs> anybody and just enter to the space and not Love necessarily uh, understand that it's a hotel and for many years many people would not understand that it's a hotel actually mm. in the courtyard in the upper rooms just they know the lobby from some concerts from going for wine or working yeah. location the day. is very interesting actually that you pick because mm -hmm. it's the Warschauerstrasse and this is like in Berlin this is I think there's a lot of parties going on or people going to the parties or coming back to the parties, but it's a very much an eventful street. Yeah, but it hasn't been like this uh, when we came. And especially I remember so vividly uh, when the where now our restaurant is, that was our construction office. And there was nobody outside the streets Nobody. <laughs> and that was in 2008. So why did you risk uh, building Just a hotel there? Because it was available. It mm. had uh, a great shape, which we had. And of course, the, the location on the map, for example, it made sense. And the public tran transport lines were really great. But there was not on the first place that you would think, oh, my God, people just passing by and come in like walk-ins. There was nobody. I was even taking a big piece of wood and put it in the window and wrote like, we are building a hotel, just come in for new information. <laughs> because nobody was passing by. Wow. Just in the turn when this um, EasyJet uh, said tourism came, then there was this club, the Watergate, and the surroundings were becoming up. And I think that was around maybe 10, 11, 12 or something, 13, 14, this period that was really crazy. And it to an extent where it was really too much. I remember that we needed at some point bounces on the door, including Tom and myself uh, standing there and oh, wow. protecting the door that our guests could come in and just these other club people would just, they that was way too much. This is wild Berlin times, but it's so yeah. also so interesting, as you said, building hotel in a not the most popular area 
and we're talking, this is the times before Instagram, but before mm -hmm. all this digital, typical social media advertisement, we see that today, even if you build something in a remote area, if you have a proper advertising around it, people will find you. They mm -hmm. will even be intrigued. But there, how would you attract people and make them find you? I mean, unless you want to have the club people, but even probably for you, it was important to have a diverse group of guests, right? That was absolutely important. And in the beginning, during the building phase, we had a club downstairs in the under our... Oh, yeah. That explains why you had to hold people back. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. This was before. Okay. This was in 2000. <laughs> Seven, eight. Okay. Uh, okay when so we in eight, I think two thousand eight. We just had the feeling we occupy now. The, we have the keys to the building. We start the building process. We put all our friends to put out the carpets and started as best as we could. And we were there and um, everything started. And we just had the feeling we wanted to announce that we are there. And in this time from coming, where we all came from. Best would you throw a party in the basement? <laughs> and we had this basement. It was sitting empty. And for us during the day, we just would use the sound PA and just put the music very loud. And it was for us the time where we could discharge and uh, recharge and everything and speak and build our our plan for certain areas. Or how do we do this and that? And during the night, we just opened the doors and um, made like um, put all the pictures of the plans of the rooms and we just wanted to show people who come by the way actually we are building a hotel here and through that there was a community around that was uh, knowing the place we had really very nice parties um, in this time at some point it was it, this was for months maybe eight nine months or something where we had this mm -hmm. at some point uh, it couldn't the basement kind of was done and we had to go to the surface and the building process was more serious. So we had to, at some point, we had to throw people so, out at yeah. six or seven in the morning and the building people came and that was too much of a clash. So oh, we knew, wow. oh, now <laughs> time to switch off but and to it, focus but on the so day. But it's so interesting when you, it's just fascinating. There's, everything is so natural, Nadine, of mm -hmm. how you describe how things are going around Michelberg and nothing feels forced. Everything seems, mm, let's try to hold a party. Let's try to use those materials. Let's try to go to flea market, see what works. Everything felt very much, you did on the go, you felt natural, you listened to your intuition. And that's also where creativity came from. I don't feel a sense of stress in all of this process. I don't feel a sense of, I, I can't imagine you had long hours and it was exhausting, But there is a sense of excitement, like someone is really about to build something yes, big. Yes, of course. Maybe it is not about the stress level because obviously we were very stressed as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was everything was new and fascinating and you needed to learn every day. And, you know, the first thing that was <laughs> a good sign of our operational non-strategic planning was that uh, the lobby was not even ready but what we did have was the first piano that is still existing there that is what we had and everything was around just dust and mold and people around working so we just want to say maybe it is not one step after another that we like strategically think what is the best thing to do now mm -hmm. it is very intuition-led And that causes sometimes a little chaos and a little stress. But um, the biggest element, I think, was that we just literally, as you said, followed the flow mm -hmm. and what we wanted and what excited us versus following a strategic plan in, in stuff. And because that was 
we just don't work like this. Yeah, I can understand. And thankfully, we had people around who exactly were going along with that. Yeah. And Spe Speaking of people, actually, yeah. how, because you mentioned a couple of times that you're so passionate about people to, to work with people, to have certain guests at the hotel. What kind of people you envisioned and eventually started working with you um, over all these years? I don't think so much we were envisioning what people we would like. It was kind of in the beginning, we were just even asking our friend, uh, our first receptionist, which is still there, oh. is uh, <laughs> just a friend of our friend or Tom's football buddy. And he brought him. And so there was one. And so we, of course, we put some advertisement, talked to people and somebody said, yeah, you have to um, do applications or advertisements at the Lausanne at the hotel uh, school and we're like okay great yeah so we do this and so then people came from there which were in the end what wherever we reached out what was the most important thing is that people understood what we wanted to do and that they were ready to let go of their standards and uh, that they understood intuitively consciously unconsciously whatever that they had to follow and take the arms and build with us what was there. <laughs> and that was um, for a lot of people with us because we were thankfully kind of full from the beginning. So there was immediately like uh, operational on, on full capacity somehow. But obviously the hotel evolved over the years um, and changed and developed uh, more and more the same operation that we did in the beginning with a full house were like 35, 40 people as the team size. Now we have 120 people and uh, it's still a full hotel and a full restaurant and events. Of course, our standard structures from the background, how to work, the finances, the controlling, all that stuff developed with us mm -hmm. uh, over the time. So it was sometimes Uh, maybe therefore we cherish so much people who are with us since the beginning, which is still quite are a big a handful. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that is for me the biggest gift because they understand so with their own experience, their own hearts where we came from. Mm -hmm. And for now, sometimes people, if they enter now the hotel and see everything is ready, everything is there, everything is taken care of and everything is standardized. We have nice team food, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. They think this is the most normal thing that is there. Yeah, it's Michelberg Hotel. It's it's just, but sometimes if you move back and see these pictures or exchange some stories from back, then you know that it's just built with your hands and with your heart and with your minds that you were a little collective that just built this house. It's it's a beautiful process, I, and the way you explained it, I can see it. I can mm. imagine it, and I think after having this conversation with you. The next time I'll be there, I will not look at it the way I used to. Yeah. Rather, like as if you said, finished projects. Now, having all the information you shared with me, I will be like, oh, here's the <laughs> piano. Here are the carpets. Mm. Where's the basement? <laughs> <laughs> Talking of you and Tom, like, what are your roles? How do you distribute like tasks among each other? Who is responsible for what? But also, how do you maintain professional and also your relationship right because I can imagine you're 24 hours together mm. and how does this look like how do you work how do you find balance first of all I think we both know that this is a biggest gift that we are able to spend all our lifetime and work time together and um, somehow we come from 
from a family background where that was the case, coming from a farm, you work and live together all the time. So this was the most natural thing for me to do that also with my partner. And I think Tom and myself from the first second that we met back then in 2003, we knew that what we have now would be the end result somehow. But back then we were just both not ready yet and we had to have some detours until finally it was clicking so much together and the decision for the hotel was before we factually came together and which was also very important I think because to build that together you have to have the knowledge that the first attention goes to the house to the building to the people to the guests and to this process and since I think our love our foundation is so strong that um, there was also no question in between if um, of course, it is nice when we were away together, just the two of us or something, but still there's no effort in finding this time and there's also no effort in putting the time into our business, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's just one. That's beautiful. You found a natural way into it and you don't try to think, oh, it could have been like this. Oh, you, you just, as you said, you accept it as a gift. You see it. This is your mission, maybe your life mission. Yeah. And uh, with that, all the other thoughts of, oh, this could have, or other people have it this way, or maybe this is what normal looks like. That's not something you think about. And no. I think that's the way to go, right? It's how you communicate with oneself about those things. Not long ago, actually, Nadine, you started another big project. I guess by the time the Michelberger Hotel was standing and strong and beautiful, you thought, I need to get my hands dirty again. I need to get into rough, raw work once again. I almost, I can see your spark in your eyes standing there and thinking, what's next? <laughs> and this is when the big project Mielberger came to be. Not so much in this direction <laughs> that uh, we were looking for something because something was ready. In, in, uh, in our case, nothing is ever finished. Nothing is ever ready, nor the hotel, nor any other project, nor ourselves. It is just an ongoing organism living breathing through life somehow and um, the farm was just something that kind of uh, was bringing full circle back where I came from exactly right. and um, one of our first chefs uh, we were talking who's now a gardener out there we were talking about um, that was even back in 2010 or something because you have to imagine uh, back then it wasn't that uh, all this amazing farmers markets, all the people from the local Brandenburg coming into town, bringing all their produce that just was not existing. We wanted to turn the hotel straight kind of shortly after we opened into that we have offer only organic food that was really hard to come by to because there was no supplier. And But how can there not be suppliers if we look at Berlin? And the map around Berlin, it's a huge Brandenburg area where there are forests, there are lakes, there are lands. It seems like it's full with producers, farmers. You the know, you the name market it. was not uh, really demanding. The restaurants back then were just not focusing on locally and produce that was coming from the neighborhood in Brandenburg or it's something. It's so strange to hear this because, you know, this is also something I brought up. It is that especially in the last, I think, year or two, it's the hypest, trendiest thing to, to do right now for a restaurant or for a hotel to work with local producers. Why it was not the case 10 years ago? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, there was just a different cuisine somehow. There was different focus in higher class restaurants, for example. There was one very good neighborhood restaurants. Then there was, of course, all the dinner. There was something which produced really nice and amazing produce. But just this, the trend that was already existing in other countries for many years was just not really reaching Berlin. And so in 2010 or something, it was really hard to find people. And thankfully, Terra back then, which is a big, beautiful um, supplier of the the basics of organic food that you also see sometimes around uh, driving here in Berlin, they took us on. So we had the volume that we needed back then for feeding our people in the restaurant. And so during this time, we already saw, oh, my God, it would be great uh, if we would have our own land. But that was just too early in the process. So we were looking for people that started to come into um, places like Markthalle 9, which is also opened, I think, in 2009 even. They brought some uh, farmers from the countryside. So I remember one morning um, Tom just chatted up one farmer out there, Roberto, to um, what couldn't he deliver to our restaurant. Uh, and he was little resistant because it was already a lot of work for him to come to the Markthalle to uh, supply there and so we asked so he came but with him it was also a journey uh, over quality and price and the uh, consistency and things and also we wanted the quality that we uh, paid for that we didn't translate it into higher prices for the customers because we always were neighborhood restaurant and like a locally right. integrated mm -hmm. restaurant so we organic was something what was just not a common and it sense. was expensive it was right? expensive but we knew we could be economically efficient and um in the same time be price sensitive to the neighbors and mm -hmm. people that come so we knew we just find need to find the middle ground and then more and more people came we looked for other suppliers then it just developed over time that we found fishers hunters mm -hmm. and the farmers uh, back wider from brandenburg and so The more people came, the, the market uh, grew that also other restaurants. Obviously, it is a, a simultaneous process. Um, we were not the only ones in this time, but we were only in contrast to the uh, quantity of restaurants. We were a few, but this few were setting sort of a trend and were published, uh, communicating this a bit broader, how important that is that the farmer get their prices and that there's um, no middleman in the chain. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so... It was a journey for sure. And at some point we just had the feeling, yes, um, we, it would be great if we were very independent ourselves and could grow our own vegetables and our own food. And at the same time, we were more somehow conscious about what's going on with the soil and what's with agriculture itself. And for us, then it was uh, important to find a system of um, cultivating the food, which was regenerative. Mm -hmm. And so we found through a conversation with uh, a guest in the breakfast room, we found out about Ernst Götsch and the syntropic farming that he applies in Brazilian. What is regenerative cultivating and what they did in Brazilia? How does that look like? Yeah, this uh, could fill an hour to talk about, but mainly it is about um, finding a system that regenerates the soil so that you find a um, food growing system that works in layers. You have bacterial and microorganism in the soil itself, then you have herbs, then you have vegetables, you have berries and nuts, you have fruits mm -hmm. and you go higher to have biomass uh, trees and these ones you cut 
And the purpose is always to bring the biomass down to the earth again to cover the soil so that all the, the water stays in the, in the soil and slowly by time the soil regenerates itself and builds humus. There's amazing literature about it too, which we just try to learn and study ourselves. And there was a couple from Netherlands that was connected to this guest in the hotel, which came from Dr. Bronner, which we worked, uh, worked with and changed also all our soaps in the rooms many, many years ago. And so they kept coming. And so at some point we talked with someone of them and he was just building and learning with this Ernst Götz in Brazil. And he told us about this whole system and to this couple in Netherlands, the forest farmers, and we started working with them. They kind of gave the shortcut for us because this was already in 2019. We wanted to plant, we wanted to try out and we wanted to start the process as early as possible. So we could not um, go and study for years ourselves. We wanted to have the experts coming, helping, supporting so that we have this fast And so it's also the power of building a strong community, right? Where mm -hmm. by I think that comes to the essence of of what you've built with Michelberger. You created a community, you created a group of people that they naturally driven to stay with you and interact with you and support what you have built. And in the way in return, sometimes unconsciously, they're willing to contribute. They almost feel the direction you're going and they want to support you. And and as you said, and potentially helping you with knowledge that is crucial and makes you to realize your dreams faster. Yeah, exactly. It's and then um, we had this uh, massive planting action in end of 2019 with like 20,000 plants in this little um, plot in brackets, so to speak, little. It's one and a half hectare. It's very dense and in this syntopic farming system, very consequent because we try to build and invest everything very complete in this design of the field together with our chefs that we um, tried to find plants that were maybe replacing annual produce that are actually exploiting the uh, the soil itself if you conventionally plant it. And so there was just a process of being aware and getting around what do we want to serve in our restaurant? What's our, how can we contribute to to a better soil, a better agriculture? How can we serve as an example maybe? Because also fairly, and thankfully this all planting happened in 2019 because in 2020 with all the stuff that we know about and the finances of the hotel were very instable, we were able to invest in this field in the way and in the capacity as we did because this is not something where, yeah, it was great that we had the background of the hotel. But what about the future plans? What is happening in the near future at the farm? Well, we are in the middle of the building process of our barn. There's 10 rooms so people can come and visit us, help at the farm, work in the field, getting their hands dirty, as you said, and um, understanding this growing process, understanding a bit more about how we can support, because that system you can as well apply on your balcony, I always say, or in your little garden or wherever. It's just like creating a microclima there and to support that insects come and the biodiversity. Mm -hmm. And so understanding this process, understanding how food grows and bringing kids there, whatever our, our wish is that people come, contribute, 
just come along during the day, um, stay over, have breakfast there, harvest their lunch, getting information about it if they wish or just work there or yoga or just multiple use of this barn. And there's um, the opportunity of a big kitchen. So we would, of course, cook that other people can come. Yeah, enjoy this process. It sounds like um, a dream getaway from <laughs> a big city life. Do you think it will be feasible to have it open to people in spring, summer this uh, year? More summer. Yeah, we have a little delay in the building process at the moment. So um, more summer, but then it's open, yes. Looking forward. What do you think the best way to learn about this, about the opening and that people can sign up or join? At the moment, there's um, best to write to farm at michelbergerhotel.com mm -hmm. and there's uh, someone answering and putting you on the list because we go out with volunteers once a month so that people can just come at the, to the hotel, uh, get a coffee, get in the bus. We drive out there, work, have lunch, work a little more and go back to the hotel so that just people are able to just come out and spend a day out there and work. Nice. Um, I hope I can be one of those volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> one more question I wanted to ask Nadine to make this kind of a, a full, like closing the circle of our conversation. We started with talking about Berlin and the space that, and the mindset of Berlin in the late 90s and beginning of 2000s, where it was just very open, very free, very creative. And what do you think, now we, we, we also thought a little bit about the present times and how hectic they can mm -hmm. be and this is what it is, but what do you think is really the future? What's ahead for Berlin as a city? What's ahead for the city? I think there's so much beauty around the corner that is easy to oversee. And I would just love that the spirit of occupying spaces and daring something different as it always has been, at least to my knowledge, when I entered to this cosmos here, that just this foundation of these buildings about this quality of life in these different quarters. Charlottenburg is so different than Kreuzberg, as anybody knows. Even now, after more than 20 years, I have not figured out all the different corners in and uh, entities or restaurants that are around since many, many decades, and I haven't seen them before. There's just an open eye for for people who shaped the history here and that are around since long time and know the development of a metropole as Berlin is by now and the diversity of different companies, of different people, especially including the restaurant scene that is absolutely on the forefront now. I think um, it has been maybe in New York, in Copenhagen. Of course, there's always a great residence over there, but there is a nuance here that I find is uh, very, very interesting. And to be really aware of this absolutely amazing situation that we have built around us from Brandenburg. And this is something that is such a beautiful benefit to a city life, this closeness to nature and the produce that is developed there, the tourism, the landscape and the nature around is so just in front of our house and that mm. we just use this opportunity and have something that is just wonderful to integrate in our daily life here in Berlin and to consume from these uh, farmers and producers over there for sure. Yeah, I, I would just love that we are way more independent from outside 
European, for example, um, suppliers that we just use what's in front of us and take care of the nature that is there and that we support this farming that is cultivated there and bring it into kitas, into schools and into all this um, in hospitals where food is such an essential part of healing, of recovering and just feeding yourself. Absolutely. That's very beautifully sums up the very bright and sustainable future of Berlin, uh, yeah. which I hope we all contribute as an individual. One by one, we, we build this right together. As we were coming to an end of our conversation, Nadine, and this is uh, quite exciting because this is also the first episode of season three of Women Authors of Achievement podcast and 61st episode of the show, which also reflects a little bit on the topic of who were the women and who are the women who are building the city in different disciplines, in different industries, and how they're contributing to the development of the city. And I think today we talked about something completely new, which is also why I really wanted to have you on the show. And the last question is always about the woman author of achievement that my guest wants to highlight. And Nadine here, no pressure. Now everyone is <laughs> listening. Now everyone is curious. But who would you name as your woman role model, as a woman author of achievement that it is for you? But it, she doesn't have to be from Berlin. No, it doesn't have to be. Okay. <laughs> Well, I would, I'm a yogi, so I'm named definitely my teacher, Guru Jagat. She passed away last year, though she is very uh, a precise role model of, of a woman of success, of a loving nature, of bringing and contributing to giving information, tools, network, every possible little thing that can uplift and elevate another person. And she is someone that was a very um, important part in my life to see behind things and to ask questions and to really work on my own discipline, to find yoga as an elemental toolkit in my everyday life and my practice and my point of view, the connectivity to spirituality as a foundational frequency through everything. And I have highest appreciation for her and for her teachings. And uh, in the same time, she was humorous, laughing all the time, and just a big loving heart. And um, yeah. Did, did you get to know her personally? Yes, yes. Yeah, thankfully. Years ago, uh, I did yoga uh, since many, many years. But at some point, I had the feeling I want more. I, I would like to add the spirituality more and something wasn't quite right with all the different styles that I did before. There was just something missing. And at some point, I... I just saw a note that Guru Jagat would come and I did not know about any guru or any whatever. It was Kundalini Yoga. Mm -hmm. And so I just saw the picture and the note and I had the feeling I have to go to her. Mm -hmm. And so um, I went to a workshop and in the second I sat down and the first chanting and the first uh, tuning in was I was home. This was mine. And this was as if my whole system would remember what I was doing. There I just followed this path even more in depth. I think I saw her picture at the uh, Mirneberger Hotel. Yes, yes. We at some point got to know her because I flew sometimes to Mallorca where she, she was actually or is her studio is based in LA. And um, she used to come to Mallorca. And mm -hmm. when she was in Mallorca, I would go over or Tom would come with me. And we practices there. There was just workshops and teachings. And 
at some point we also got to know and I was asking her from the first workshop, How can't you come to our hotel? We have a beautiful hotel, can't you just teach? <laughs> and uh, But there was no answer. At some point over the years, we got to know each other personally. And then at some point I asked again and I asked again. And um, at some point she said, yes, I come. And that was last year in summer. And we did a beautiful workshop uh, together at the in the hotel with in that time still restricted number of people, but it was 60, 70 people that were able to come for a weekend. And um, that was absolutely meaningful. And yeah, but um, shortly after she passed, she did her job, she did her achievement and her soul went off. Unbelievable. And thank you for sharing that story, Nadine. And it's also, as I said, it's I was actually saw her picture in the hotel and I saw that I think she was shared on a couple of the channels, but I didn't know the story that she's not there with us anymore. So I was even wanted to ask you if there's anything, but thank you for sharing. You're welcome. And this is the end of our conversation, Nadine. And I have to say this was definitely something very special and <laughs> on many different levels, but there's also something I've told you, I think also earlier that we haven't spoke about it on the podcast, but uh, Michel Berger is now running Aura Restaurant, mm -hmm. which is a very well-known restaurant mm. in Berlin, and it formerly was a, a pharmacy. And when I first time came to Berlin for a short visit, I think it was more like about eight years ago or so, or maybe more, I by accident came across the beautiful CC Berlin book yes and yes. then I just opened I flipped randomly the pages in the first you know when my hand just went on the first page that I saw was aura restaurant and mm -hmm. I thought to myself what an interesting interior and it's it's kind of hip it's for me it was Berlin yes it was mm -hmm. this hidden jewel somewhere in the middle of Kreuzberg hip cool but at the same time had this historical aspect and I think the same evening or or day after I went there and I thought, oh, I really love it. And mm -hmm. I think for me, that was the first part in Berlin where I started connecting. Mm -hmm. So I was, didn't feel like a visitor, but I felt more like a local. Yes. And I think that's why for me, this conversation is quite special because Aura, Michelberger Hotel, a few other places are so important in the scenery of Berlin because they make you feel like home. They make you mm -hmm. feel local suddenly. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like there's a high barrier to entry. You just have to accept it. You just have to welcome it. And the community just takes you in, in a way. And that's the beauty of it. And I think our conversation only highlights that. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time thank today. Thank you, Daria, for inviting me. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.